Look at this. Oh, that is beautiful. Um, what is it? It's a unicorn, Daddy. Oh, straight in the pool room. Daddy, look at this. Oh, that looks like a, um, it's a, it, it's a beautiful aeroplane. It is a nana. Oh, that is the best picture ever. That is going straight in the pool room. Click next to continue. Uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Click Next to Continue. Uh, so today's topic is going to be a bit of an interesting one, uh, a little bit of a controversial one, I imagine. Uh, we're talking about... Um, are people in L&D sometimes a little bit too nice uh, to our peers and to our colleagues um, when we are providing feedback? Um, but before we get into that too far, uh, I've got a guest with me uh, today. Uh, I've got Ant on the podcast. Uh, Ant uh, is someone who uh, we have a lot of similar views, but uh, uh, for those of you who are playing along at home um, and may not know uh, who you are, Ant, do you want to give a quick snapshot of who you are, what you're passionate about and, and what you're up to these days? Hey Raf, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, I'm a, a learning consultant and a freelance e-learning coach. Um, I help companies um, un- uncover problems um, and try and solve those with um, some kind of learning solution. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I do by day and, and by night I do uh, coaching. So I'm, I'm very passionate about helping other freelancers um, who maybe maybe they're not freelancing yet. Maybe they're thinking about freelancing or maybe they've already started freelancing um, mm-hmm. specifically in the field of instructional design and e-learning. Just help them um, grow a profitable business uh, and really hone their craft. Okay, awesome. And uh, I think you uh, recently started like a, a community uh, where freelancers can kind of connect with you and, and there's like a group where they can get coaching from you and, and as a community as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's um, it's just a small private coaching community. So I do a lot of, you know, YouTube videos. I post a lot on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, you know, send out a lot of emails, got, got a lot of people on my email list now and I send out as much value as I can through those those channels but I you know I get a lot of questions and it's very difficult for me to to respond to everybody I mean this sounds so big-headed yep. <laughs> sounds so, so narcissistic saying this I'm, you know, I, get, I get so many emails I'm so important no, it's not like that but it's it's really hard you know I'm working full-time it's really hard for me to answer everyone uh, in as much depth as I want to and and that's mm. why I set up this community is just a, a small private intimate space uh, where people can ask questions and I can give them a bit more of my my focus and attention in, in, in giving answers and and obviously there's other people in the community who who jump in and, and answer questions as well because everyone's got a different uh, level of expertise in different areas so it's a, mm-hmm. it's a really great place to so I look at it as a bit like an insurance policy when I started freelancing I didn't have anywhere um there was lots of business mentors out there and lots of yep, places yep. you could go to learn about running a business, but it wasn't specific to our industry. And so that's why I wanted to create was some, somewhere that people could go um, to get questions answered. You know, how do you find clients? How, how do you mm. structure your pricing? You know, should you charge a deposit? Uh, mm-hmm. And then, then, other industry focused topics as well you know how do you run a, a proper needs analysis what do you do if you uh SME's not playing ball you know all, all the different yeah. things that we we struggle with so it's uh yeah it's good fun okay and, and i think you know with all that it it, it- 
puts you quite neatly positioned to, to speak on this podcast because so the, the premise of this podcast is um, very often, I guess, what, what I see on, on social channels and, and at learning events and all that sort of thing is, is people will share their work. Um, and, and sometimes that work is like amazing and you're like, wow, this is really incredible. It's super well-designed. Um, it's, 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 it's technically well-designed and then also it's, it's just well-polished. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the comments come alongside, wow, that's amazing. Da, 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 da. But at the same time that there's quite a lot I see where things are posted and, and that person is, is inviting feedback, but I think they're inviting compliments and, and that's what they get. So you look at something, someone's posted up and going, Hey, I've created this and you go, look, technically love it as a solution. Um, but then no one kind of goes, hey, look, that visual style is not great or Ooh, the, the content hierarchy here is a little bit tricky. Like there's, there's always the well done, cool pat on the back feedback. And no one ever seems to, I guess, provide feedback that allows people to grow. Um, so, hey, you know, this is really fantastic. And here's an idea how I'd improve it. And, and for me, it's a real lost opportunity because when you post your work, it's an opportunity to kind of get a bit of validation, but at the same time, grow, get a different perspective um, and, and kind of evolve your school set. Uh, for me, if I get feedback that just says, hey, well, well done, Raf, that's fantastic. I, I kind of get a little bit sad because like that's the end of that journey. It's like, okay, cool. What's the next thing? It's, you know, I, I move on and, and, and don't have anything to kind of move on to. Whereas if someone comes back and goes, hey, what about this? Have you thought about this? I think you could improve X. I thrive on that and, and I just don't see that much in our industry. So, and why do you think, um, why are we so nice in L&D, I guess? <laughs> well, I think the as you were saying that, I think, you know, I haven't, I haven't spent a long time thinking about why. I've spent a long time seeing this problem, um, you mm-hmm. know, and I see it all the time. All, all the things you just said, I you see, see it over and over again. And I don't know whether it is just specific to our industry, but I think one of the fundamental reasons okay. that this problem exists within our industry is because for me to um, analyze your work, for me to really sit down and to, to not just give it, you know, a, a quick look over and some feedback immediately – Yes, mm-hmm. I can give you quick feedback on the visual, the visual style, the colors, the font choices, the the use of white space, the user interface, all that stuff I can do within thirty seconds. But for me to yep. really grasp, because because learning design is not about you know just having some pretty visuals on screen, is it? It's about an effective Absolutely. solution. So for me to give you some critical feedback and to to go through it carefully. Um, it's going to take me some time, and I, you know, all of it. None of us have time, do we? We're, we're, there's, there's the biggest, biggest, the thing that we we struggle most out of everything. I think, in especially for freelancers, you know, we're we're, we're yep. work, working not only on developing our, you know, honing our our, our skills as instructional designers and e-learning developers, and, and working on the industrial uh, industry side of things, but we're also, you know, learning how to run businesses, how to, you know you do marketing how to do sales how to do project management you know it is such a a vast array of skills that are needed so to have time to sit down and critically give somebody some feedback on some e-learning mm. it's just not not going to happen and i think what happens generally is rather than give no feedback at all if it's you know somebody you're friends with or somebody that you're you know you respect within the industry you mm-hmm. want to leave a nice comment and say yeah that looks great so I think that's the problem. There's no, um, and I, I mean, I've started doing e-learning reviews on my YouTube channel, and it it, mm-hmm. it 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 takes me, you know, it takes me a few hours to put together a video like that. So I have to research the the e-learning, in, you know, in the first place, go through it a couple of times. I have to, you know, make some notes and decide, you know, 
what's good about it, what I don't like. Yeah. I mean, I've even started putting some structure around it now where I actually give it a score. So I know, you know, I can compare it against other other examples of e-learning. But, you know, in the, you know realistically, that that's, you know, I, you know, from a selfish perspective, I'm only doing that because mm. I can make a video out of it. I probably wouldn't sit, well, yeah. I definitely wouldn't sit that sit there and do that if it was just, you know, somebody sent me a link and, you know, asked me to review it because I just don't have time. So I think that's probably the first thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yep, and I think you know maybe maybe on that point you know the, the the thing I was thinking about when you were saying that is is you know there is that kind of almost reaction like it's it's you don't even think about it if someone's posted oh and I'll just post something nice and, and maybe you know th- that is I guess part of the behavior because you post something nice and don't want to go too in depth because you know in depth one takes analysis time but two for me generally speaking if if you go in depth then usually like in depth involves hey I can't really fit this in a LinkedIn comment or in a tweet um, so th- then th- there's going to be a follow up conversation and it's almost having a behavior of hey if you see something and you go oh there's there's feedback I would give but I don't have time to actually be able to do that um then kind of almost you know maybe give it a like or something but don't be kind of go like oh yes this is fantastic and then in the cases you do um have i guess time to go hey i'm actually going to invite uh this person to to kind of have a bit of a chat with me and, and i can kind of talk through in a little bit more detail it gives that opportunity of a bit of back and forth around cool let me know like why is this designed this way and actually have a meaningful feedback conversation around it i think maybe that's one of the things to keep in mind it's like hey if you're going to post something be in a position to be able to provide that and and kind of take it to that next level um rather than i guess that knee jerk which it it feels nice to say you know something's great but only post it if if something truly is and you just look at it and go wow just off the top of my head there's there's nothing i'd fix with this it looks fantastic um and maybe on the flip side there's an aspect of if people are sharing their work so i guess for me I like to think that people share their work to get feedback and, and kind of go, hey, look, this is this is something I'm proud of um, instead of kind of boasting about how good they are. Um, and, and as part of that, that, that kind of opens up that relationship to I expect feedback to come through. So maybe posting a little bit more context around, hey, you know, this is why the solution looks like this and this is why we chose this visual style and da-da-da. So people have a bit more context to perhaps give more structured feedback rather than just, I guess, having an image and going, I spent lots of time doing this and I think it's great, um, which kind of, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to say I don't like it. I'm just going to hurt your feelings. Um, so what, what do you think about that? Is there kind of, I guess, a, a, a structure around how we post our work to share and invite feedback and in and, uh, and a way how we respond that kind of needs to be the two sides of the coin uh, in order for this to all work? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're talking about human behavior, you know, it's, uh, it's a bit like, you know, we, we don't go on on Facebook in the morning and, and uh, scroll through our feed and think about what kind of comments we're leaving. And, you know, we just react instinctively. Um, but mm. I think in a professional environment, um, you know, it, it's actually a, it's a two way street, isn't it? The person posting needs to probably provide some guidance into what type of feedback they're looking for rather than just look here is something i've created what do you think because yeah. that just is, is a, such a wide open question that um yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to get all all kinds of you know answers to that question it looks great uh, yeah I, you know i love this i love that you know it's not really i mean I, I'm, I'm trying to think this through in my in my head 
it's it's difficult to try and encourage people to be specific about that because they don't know what's lacking until they get the feedback. Mm. So it, it, yeah. it's difficult to do that. But yeah, I totally agree with what you said in in, in reverse. Like uh, for a person who's actually giving the feedback, um, just by saying something's great, looks great, you know that. Yeah, it feels nice, but it's uh, you know it's not it's not value. really. <laughs> No, it's not not helpful at all. It makes them feel nice, and and you know I've seen it so many times. You see it so many times, and it's a real problem in our, in our industry. I think that you see people posting their work, and then you just get this chorus of cheerleaders, especially mm-hmm. if they're they're posting. I've seen it a lot on um, communities where the community is hosted by a software vendor, and the um, work that's being posted is created in that software, and so you get yeah. a lot of. Um, kind of advocates for that software and, and maybe even employees of the software commenting about how great the, the examples are when, you know, when you look at it from a, an instructional design perspective, from a graphic design perspective, um, you really kind of go through, you know, user interface design, sound design, you go through mm. the, the, the list of checkboxes of what makes um, good e-learning. Um, and you actually say, well, is it that good? You know, you know, we, we want to yeah. be more kind of constructive about the feedback. And, and that's where the problem lies is that people aren't going to improve and the, the industry as a whole is going to remain like a, a lower standard because just there's just too much kind of back, back slapping and, and cheerleading going on and not enough constructive feedback. And I think, mm. you know, the real problem here is that there's not a there's not an environment where people can go to get that. You know, you can post something yes. on LinkedIn or you can post it in a uh, in a, a forum or community. But as I said at the start, you, people haven't got the time to do it. So you, what you really what we really need as an industry is a panel of you know in, in inverted commas experts. I mean, all, all of these opinions yep. are going to be subjective, but a panel of experts who can objectively give you feedback on all these different elements and what would be ideal actually if you had a panel of let's say you know 10 experts and each each one has an expertise in a different uh, specialty and they can yeah, be specific yep. you know, give you critical feedback on for example uh, ui design or sound design or uh, instructional design and because the other thing about this as well is that me posting an e-learning module or an e-learning activity on linkedin Mm -hmm. you don't have any context about why i've created that which is absolutely critical for you to know whether it's a a, it's a it's a good solution or not you know just Mm. from seeing something it's not we're not talking about you know art or um you know even graphic design you know uh, you could say if you were for example designing a logo that you'd need some context for that as well so i was just thinking of a logo as an example because you know, I could post a logo and you could say, oh, that looks so cool. But unless you know the context for, for what the brand is that I'm, uh, I've created my logo for, you know, it's just a pretty, pretty picture, isn't it? So you could say that. Yeah, but I think and, it- and that's actually a, a, a very interesting um, point you've made around logos because logos ultimately are something that people look at quite simplistically. Um, but just around that premise of, okay, if you want feedback on a logo, how do you invite meaningful feedback? Um, and to that point, it'd be kind of interesting to have an exercise of where you've got a logo um, and the feedback you ask for is essentially like, hey, like what kind of culture do you think this company has? What kind of, you know, what do they stand for? And, and try and get people to look at that visually and kind of represent um, feedback in terms of, oh, yeah, like looking at that logo, are they, you know, pretty laid back and they're, you know, really innovative and startup culture and all that sort of thing. And and then you discover, you know, that the company's like a, supposed to be some kind of massive corporate who are quite rigid and, and fixed and they've got one product that they keep selling it. 
that kind of feedback would give you, okay, well, I've I've kind of visually perhaps hit the missed the mark a little bit because the logo visually doesn't communicate the brand of that company. Um, and again, that's kind of like rather going, hey, do you like my logo? Where some people go, yep, and others would go, no. Nah. And it's based on just pure, I guess, subjective, just visual, to your point, looking at it as though it's art. It's like, yeah, I like those colors. No, I don't. It kind of gives it a depth of what you're trying to communicate with that logo and how do people interpret that visual communication. And that kind of makes the feedback a little bit more meaningful, still probably subjective, but it gives it like an op- a bit of objectiveness injected into it as well and starts to, I guess, give you the type of feedback that's quite actionable. Um, so, yeah, I, I just wanted to call it out because the logo just kind of triggered that thought of me. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. And, and what you've just talked about, um, it, it remind. well, there's, there's two things I wanted to say to that. I think from a logo perspective, yes, you need some context, but it's much easier it, It's much easier to, to look at a logo and decide you can look at a logo and decide whether it's good or bad you know yes relatively speaking but you do need to go uh, dig deeper into that and, and understand some context you know who's the audience what is what is it what what image is it trying to portray i don't think it would take too long to do that i.e you could do it on a web page pretty easily you know by explaining mm-hmm product the audience you know it would be a short paragraph of text and you've got the, the the context you need i think you would need to go into a lot more detail to give you the give somebody the context for uh, a learning solution because it's got a lot more complexity mm. to it so um you know the audience is obviously important um but but you know you'd need to go into all of the aspects of what's the problem that we're trying to solve um what do they you know what do the learners already know what is their level of, of ability before they start this content you know it would be far more difficult to go into that level of complexity and then the other thing i wanted to say about this is that this conversation really reminds me of the advice i i, I made a video a few weeks ago about um the the different um uh, techniques that you can use to to create a portfolio on your freelance e-learning website okay. and one of the the most critical things that i think you need to have in a portfolio is context around each example mm-hmm, that you, mm-hmm. you show people and it's, it's exactly what we're talking about it's it's giving people not just the ability to say oh you, you're obviously really good at graphic design or, or you're really good at um the technical um side of building storyline courses because you've got variables and triggers and all that kind of stuff it's about actually saying this is why i created this this e-learning demo module whatever you want to call it um this was the audience this was the thought process behind why i made these decisions and this was the result of this you know learning solution being delivered and when you've got that context at that point in time i can then say confidently or much more confidently i can say that is a great solution. I'm going to give you a you know nine out of ten for that one, and it's a lot, yeah. lot easier to give that feedback. But again, we're talking about a lot of time for somebody to create that context in the first place, and then a lot of time for somebody to review it afterwards. So I think it's just that it's probably the nature of what we're doing is it just it just it's just it's just a, a yeah. lot of time re- required. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree, and and that portfolio comment, yeah, at one hundred percent, like that context of why why you arrived at a particular solution. For me, that's the bit I'm more interested than kind of how it looks, because for me, again, like the subjective stuff is, no, oh, I don't like this style. I do, doesn't really matter. Um, what does matter is is sort of how that arrived at, it. and and for me, you know, I've had situations where I've been interviewing someone and, and they presented a portfolio and yeah, that was one of the things is like they provided context for everything. And, you know, the stuff that I was most impressed with 
wasn't the super complex, oh, it was really hard and so many triggers and it took me ages to work it out and all that. The stuff I've been impressed with was where someone went, so this client, they wanted some e-learning and after I did the analysis, I worked out X, Y, Z and what we decided to do instead is we just did posters and here's the poster we did and here's why. And I'm like, like now I'm impressed because it's shown like a real level of thought um, around it and given me context to then be objectively kind of asked intelligent questions um, and, and kind of, you know, get a real perspective. This person knows how to design, not, I guess, kind of like design a solution rather than design an, an output, if that sort of makes sense. Um, and, and on that, actually, on, on that topic, so uh, 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 in the last bit, we sort of touched on, you know, having, I guess, cheerleaders um, for certain technologies. And, and, and something that I want to sort of put to you is, do you think there's a bit, a bit of a case of, you know, um, empathy, I guess, that people demonstrate where they look at something and, and it kind of in their mind, they're probably like, look, if I installed an app and it looked like this, I'd uninstall it. But I know you did an in storyline, so that's okay for storyline. Do you think there's an element of, I guess, siloing ourselves off from the rest of the world and kind of having rose-colored glasses of, yeah, it's not great, but for storyline, it's okay. Or for Captivate, it's okay. Or for Rise, it's okay. Do you think there's an element that comes into it as well uh, of that when we're sort of giving just really nice feedback all the time? Yeah. Oh, my God. You, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's, exactly, it's exactly the situation. Our industry, um, for some reason, um, I... I always think that we're different to, to other industries. I'm sure we're not. I'm sure it's the same and it's just, you know, human nature. But we compare ourselves from within. We compare ourselves to our peers. We compare ourselves to what's been done before. We don't compare ourselves to the other experiences we have, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I posted the other day about this, about how important it is not to take inspiration from within the industry. You shouldn't be looking yep. on, you know, um, the Articulate e-learning uh, heroes community website for yep. inspiration yeah. on how to create great e learning you should be looking on netflix you should be looking on you know design websites you should be on you know apps you know there's, there's literally yep. anywhere that yep. you're interacting with digital content which we are on a daily basis those are the experiences we should be taking and putting into our, our learning solutions and and yeah you've, you've hit the nail on the head yeah, and I, th and I think, you know, the other thing is is you, you mentioned a really, really important word in that, inspiration. Um, and I think something that r a lot of people, I guess, struggle with is what does inspiration mean? Because very often what we do see is inspiration for people translates into replication. So, oh, we're going to do the Netflix of e-learning. So, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Netflix and see how it's laid out. And then we're just going to replicate that layout, but make it learning. And, and it completely misses that to come up with Netflix, there would have been user groups, there would have been UX engineers, there would have been people pitching ideas, evolving, all that sort of thing. And their process of, the, of arriving at Netflix wouldn't have been a, hey, wouldn't it be cool? Their process of being like, cool, so we have to make money and we have to make sure that our product is the easiest to use, the best, the most intuitive, it fosters behaviors that we want. So, hey, you're watching one show. It is super easy to keep watching the next one and the next one and the next one. So, they would have had all these needs that drove the design, not a case of, you know, I mean, you know, the person who came up with Netflix, they didn't have a Netflix to copy. They came up with it based on analysis needs and good design. And when Netflix came out, you could objectively look at it and go, wow, well, I, can, I can see what they're trying to achieve here. And I reckon they've done it. 
Um, so I think there's that element that inspiration isn't about replication. It's more about kind of going, replicate the process they use to arrive at it. The analysis, the design, the thinking, the, the kind of evolution, the dead ends where they went, no, nah, this isn't working and kind of be more comfortable with that rather than just focusing on that superficial and then replicating it. Um, and then kind of posting it online and going, hey, look, I created my training. It looks like Netflix. It's like, I don't know if that's good or not because I don't know what the need is um, and I don't have the context for it. So visually, eh, okay, yeah, fine. Um, but as a solution, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're um, right. I mean, um, just to, just to, just a, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, I think the problem with what you're talking about here is a lack of um, time and budget for most people. Um, and I've got a lot of thoughts about why that's the case. And I think if we take it back a step and you actually have the, the conversation at the beginning of the project uh, rather than once the solution's been decided upon and you're then in a situation where you're, you are limited by budget because you know that you've got your 100 slides that you've got to get into this course and you've, you've got to get it mm. done by a certain date. If you can get into that conversation at a, a much earlier stage, which as freelancers we can, you know, we talk to the client uh, right at the beginning of the project when we have that first sales call and we have that conversation yep. and we say, you know, what, what is it that you want? And they say, we want a course. And that's the moment when we can step in and say, aha, right, you want a course. You can, you've got two choices at that point, haven't you? You've got the choice to say, yep, yep, yep okay, would you like fries with that? Or you can turn yep. around and say, <laughs> what, let, let, okay, let, let me understand a little bit more about this. What, why, why is it that you want a course? What is it that we're trying to achieve here from a, you know, a business perspective? Because I don't want to take your money unless I know I'm going to give you a positive return on investment. And I think mm. that's, that's a very, it requires skill. It requires experience and practice and some courage because it's scary to suddenly say to a client, yeah. that, you know, ask them probing questions. But, uh, but the point is, is that if you can then um, adjust the direction of the project right from the beginning, it's like that concept, isn't it? If you change the, the angle of a, a ship that's sailing towards an island by one degree, you know, if yep. you get that yep. wrong by one degree, by the time you get to the island, you're, you know, could be a thousand miles off course. It's, it's, you yeah. know, you've got, you've got to be pointing in the right direction when you, when you set sail. So, you know, the, the, the whole point of me, me starting to talk about this is that when, when we're talking about budget and, and, uh, you know, getting out, what, what often happens is I think is that we kind of get ourselves stuck into a box and we're like, right, the client wants a, you know, this one hour. I, I had a client yesterday say exactly the same thing. How much do you quote for one hour of e-learning? And it's like, it's, it's just the wrong metric to be looking at that, you know, you're, you're rewarding yeah. me for delivering, you're, you're rewarding me on a minute by minute basis for delivering content. But I should yes. be, I should be rewarded for making your course five minutes instead of an hour long. Not I shouldn't get paid less for that. I should get paid more because I've saved your learners hours and hours of time. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the point is, is we're going back to your Netflix example. Is that you know most of us don't have time to come up with the new Netflix, and and you you made the point we shouldn't be doing that. It's about taking inspiration, but I think we can still use examples from outside of of our industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you said it process you follow that sort of process and it doesn't even have to be you know a really convoluted process it can be really really simple just starting at the beginning identifying the problem what is it we're trying to solve and then following through you know a, a well-tested process to get to an end result that includes yep. consideration for graphic design for sound design for ui design you know for instructional design following those solid principles through to get to the end result 
Um, and, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel and come up with something, you know, completely different. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's kind of that that thing of the behavior we exhibit is going to influence what our clients expect of us. So if you exhibit the behavior of they come to you and go, we want a course into 100 pages and you go, yes, and you create a course, then you position yourself as just an order taker. You, you position yourself as a production facility for content and your value is how much content can you produce within a set budget. If you change that conversation to that outcome value proposition, it takes it away from, I guess, that I mean, I guess, you know, that number of our oh, 30 minutes, 45, whatever it is, and it starts looking at outcomes and value and the client's expectations of you change. Um, and, and there's two points I'm going to make. Um, so that conversation around length. So one of the things, you know, uh, I hear all the time is like, oh, how long do you think this will be? Um, and I like to drive clients crazy uh, by saying, well, it's going to be as short as possible and as long as it needs to be. And through the analysis, the analysis stage, we're going to find out what that length looks like and how that length is structured and all that sort of thing. And they're like, oh, that's a good point. Um, but the other thing is, again, if you are working in an environment where a lot of your value is just churning out content and, and you don't have much influence over that, then you spend a lot of your time investing yourself in, I guess, the superficial. And that, I think, for me, drives a little bit of that culture of posting stuff. I'm going, hey, hey, look how cool this looks rather than, hey, here's a really great solution because the solution you may not believe in, but you've invested yourself in like the visual look of it and you've kind of made it cool and and it kind of just perpetuates that that as learning professionals, all we do is we make content more cool. We make it more fun. We make it more interesting visually. Can and you it jazz starts it up? to water down. Yeah, That's exactly right. So bells and whistles. Can we have a few more different activities because, you know, it'll be more engaging. It's like, oh, will it though? <laughs> yeah no it, you're right you're right it's uh, and i've done it you know i've done it for, both as a learning designer i've kind of taken content and been like oh i can make a cool game out of this and, and you know i made a whole video about this and, and why i stopped using artic articulate storyline um i don't yep. think i don't think it's a bad tool i think it's a fantastic tool um but for me like and, and I still use it, you know, I still use it in projects now. I haven't completely stopped using it. But I, I went through yeah. a, a, a very um, noticeable stage of my career when I got so wrapped up in using Storyline that I became like this, like Articulate Storyline fanboy. And I was like, oh, yeah. wow, yeah. I've got a new feature and you can, you know, make a concertina and pull the information out by doing this, this and this. And I'm like, I got so wrapped up in that that I just, completely lost my focus on what I was trying to achieve by yep. being being a learning designer in the first place and I think I feel like there's a there's a big big uh I say a layer of of e-learning and you know what I, I'm gonna go even further and say you actually need yeah. that you need you need people who geek out on this stuff to create these solutions because um you know this you is know what, what the boundaries are of that well, particular tool you kind of really push that particular tool yeah, so you well, you might learn from those people. You might need to do this stuff, and this kind of stuff might be the exact thing that helps somebody learn. The problem is yep. when people who are passionate about this and focused on that as a priority forget about the other stuff. And you know, this goes to my point that I don't think somebody really you can. I don't think you should really have one person doing everything. The person who yes, does the needs analysis and the instructional design shouldn't be the person who's the, the storyline expert because I just think you're spreading yourself too thin. And that's yep. the problem is if you get somebody who's that storyline geek and they absolutely love it and they're, they're totally into that, they're not going to have the, the the needs analysis and the problem-solving 
um, that, that's not going to be in the, the priority in their mind. And so you're going to have yep. this conflict of interest where the, the focus isn't on solving the problem. The focus is on how cool and jazzy I can make this this interaction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that's that's something that I, I've seen uh, recently where um, – there was there was a there was a community of people and and basically they were just sharing their work and and the idea was you, you kind of everyone was given a, a common brief and then it was like how would you approach this brief and and there were two takeaways um, for me in that one some of the responses to the brief from a thought process from an analysis from an idea and all that sort of thing considering the audience were amazing like i went that is super cool oh they've thought about this thing oh they're thinking about accessibility as well they're thinking about that the demographic's going to be broad and and i was like on this high i was like yeah rock and roll this is awesome this is really good thought design and then on top of that the visuals i was like oh this is incredible oh, this is great ux oh wonderful ui beautiful and then one of the aspects of this brief was what tool would you use and I, I kid you not, a solid 80% of people, 70% of people, like, oh, storyline. And I was just deflated. I was like, why? This is the stuff you've presented as your idea and the visuals and everything. That should be an app or that should be a website or that should be this thing. And, and it was almost this kind of thing. People just defaulted to it because that's the tool they use. So, yeah. well, I mean, of course it's going to be storyline. That's the tool I use. And it kind of, it was, and it was like, I was excited to 99% of the way. And that last 1%, I was just like, oh, this is this is that behavior of, well, this is the tool I use and, and I'm going to keep sort of using it. And I think that's one of the things that I think needs to break away and, and, and kind of like start exploring more tools. And then kind of that way, it means that when you're posting stuff again, it starts to shift away from the superficial of, hey, I've done this cool thing in Storyline. Um, and it starts to shift, hey, I chose this other tool or I did it in this or I just made this a website or this is just a PDF because x y and that and people can have i guess more investment of themselves in the design of the solution not the design of the visuals that kind of sit over the top of that solution and to your point that's going to be very hard with some clients like to all of a sudden come back to them and go look i don't think you need e-learning um i think you need something completely different and especially with new clients um, it's going to be very tricky because you don't have a relationship to base that on but for me to that point when you're talking to a client at the start you have this moment of, I don't think this is quite what they need. And then for me, the rest of that conversation is about discovering how much you can influence them. Because in some case, there's going to be clients where you can influence them 5% today and then 5% again and 5% again and 5% again. And over a relationship, you kind of completely shift their thinking and all of a sudden you're doing the work that you want to be and you're really proud of it because it's really solution-oriented. And it kind of takes a bit of a nuance and a bit of, you know, using spider, your spider senses to see if they're tingling that, yes, this client is one that will be willing to accept my recommendations to, to accept the way I consult. And over time, I'll kind of change them and they'll start demanding of me something that's solution-oriented rather than content and, and timeframe-oriented. And to your point, other clients, you just go, they're not listening at all. And then, you know, it's easy to say and, you know, don't work with those clients because, you know, you've got rent to pay in and then sometimes they're like, oh, all right, yeah, I'll just make it look pretty. But you want to kind of try and as much as possible avoid that situation because one, it's further reinforcing your bad behavior on the client's end. Um, and two, you kind of end up in this position where 
you're just sharing and you're getting really caught up in superficial and like, right, what can I do that's super cool in storyline rather than having that opportunity to explore outside of the boundaries and, and outside of the learning space to, to kind of develop something that's really neat and super cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I got a couple of points um, to make. I would slightly disagree with you, actually, that it's Uh, more... Shock and horror. Yeah, is this allowed? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've got to just edit all of this out. So, yeah, it's say what you want. It'll just be bleeped out. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool. Yeah, no, just on the... I agree with everything you said, apart from the comment you made about it's difficult to introduce something with a new client. And I actually think that that's the time that you should introduce new uh, ideas and new ways of working when you've got a new client Mm -hmm. because they haven't got any expectations of how you work. So let's let's have an example. If I've just done a, you know, an Articulate Storyline course with my client and they come back to me and say that was great you know we're really happy with that uh, we would like you to do another one on a different topic it, at that point if I turn around and said oh actually I've learned a new technique for solving problems and we're gonna create a couple of job aids or a couple of scenarios instead you, you're probably yep. gonna ca- cause a little bit of panic and it, and it might might be a case of well you know we were happy we just want you to do the same again uh, when you've got yep. a new client it can be easier to introduce new things and and this I, I the 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 thing that really made me think about this is um, when I talk to people about pricing and people are always saying, how do I raise my rates? Well, you generally can't do that with with existing clients because they've got already yeah. an expectation. But if you go into a new client conversation and you quote double what you quoted your previous client, they haven't got any point of reference to think wow that's you know much more expensive they might think it's they might might think it's expensive compared to uh, the other the other uh, vendors out there and that's a whole other com- yep. conversation about differenti- differentiating yourself against the competition but um yeah from a perspective of the the, the the client conversation i think that's a good time to try things that, that are new because you you haven't invested any time and, into it and they haven't got any expectations but mm. the other point you made about um yeah i, I agree i agree 100 about the um the the idea of you know consistently using the same tool over and over again that the problem is when it comes to that whether you're in a corporate environment or whether you're a freelancer if you're in a corporate environment your company would have invested in storyline and they will already you know they'll invested yep. probably in training you in storyline or if you, they, you haven't been trained on on the you know on the job you've they've recruited somebody who you know they that already has that skill set and they've they've invested mm-hmm, in you mm-hmm. that way if you're a freelancer you've invested in storyline it's a big investment you're confident with it. Learning a new tool is going to take a lot of time, which you don't have. And all of these issues come back to the fact that, you know, I, I, I addressed it as time earlier, but it's, it's, it's money, isn't it? If, if, we, had, if yeah. we had, you know, four times the amount of time to come up with a solution, we would probably do things differently. And the reason we don't have time is because, you know, especially in a freelancing world, we haven't got the, the budget to do that and then that then comes down to really uncovering the value of the comp, uh, of the project in the first place because if you uncover the real value of the project in the first place you're mm-hmm. able to charge higher rates because you're then focused on solving a problem within the business rather than just creating content which you know mm-hmm. if, you, if you create content if you come to me and you want to 50 slide or let's say it's an hour of e-learning people can go away and compare my pricing to you know 10 of the vendors and we've all got this yeah they've got just like like a you know they can they can choose which one whichever one they want if they, if, mm. they, if they come to me and i've given them a specific way of solving their problem and we've uncovered a value and we think you know it doesn't always come down to finance financials but let's let's imagine that we've tied the value to a hundred thousand dollars worth of you know return on investment for this company 
we're then mm. able to, 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 you know, well, in that case, if I can get you $100,000 worth of return on investment on this project, would you be willing to invest $20,000 in solving this problem? You know, that they would be idiotic not to choose that, right? Because they're going to be making $80,000 worth of, uh, of money there. So yep. suddenly I've got my $20,000 worth of budget, which might be four times the amount I, I would have got if, you know, if they'd have just come to me and said, we need, you know, 60 minutes of, of e-learning. So I think yeah. it, always, it all comes back to uh, having time and the money to, to do these things that we're talking about. We're talking about stuff that is kind of, you know, is it called blue sky thinking or like the, it's, it's the best, the best case scenario. This is what we're trying to yep. aim for. And I think that comes down to having, being skillful in that problem solving right at the beginning of a project. It's funny how we started with a conversation that was kind of like, hey, how do we give feedback and, and kind of, you know, at a very kind of detailed and high level and individual. And we've kind of taken the, 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 the roller coaster and ultimately all that starts from the type of work you're doing, how you position yourself, the value you're providing. And then that kind of bubbles up through different ways to what you're, I guess, presenting out to a community and what that community expects and, and how that community wants to present, I guess, feedback. So on that point, maybe, and this is a kind of a, a question that might be a little bit interesting, to, to, to get, I guess, the most how do we raise, I guess, the standard of our community through sharing, you know, critical feedback and, and what sort of behaviors and, or, or framework or structure should people who, A, are inviting feedback be adopting and then B, for people who are going to provide feedback, how should that be structured to actually be, I guess, critical and, and kind of give people some really good actionable insight into how you'd approach it different and again they may dismiss it or may not but give them something that they really get to have a good think about rather than oh that's pretty or oh no i don't like it yeah it's difficult isn't it because as, as i said earlier it, this is human nature and, and you don't sort of jump onto linkedin and think about you know how you're responding to things and you don't follow a procedure for, for responding to things you just kind of you know it's a very free uh, kind of like, you don't you don't have a checklist like me i've got a, like a checklist <laughs> that's like 56 points <laughs> <laughs> got you um i should i should have one of those but uh <laughs> no i mean it's difficult isn't it i think the key is to be aware of this awareness is the the, the first thing we need to, to do and to, to have and um you know just by listening to by, by having conversations like we've we've just had and by being mm -hmm. aware of the fact that it's about, about being aware of who's giving you the feedback isn't it so not all feedback is equal when you see you know, when you see mm -hmm. 50 likes on, a, you know, your LinkedIn post, um, all those 50 likes are not equal because, you know, 49 of those likes might be people who actually have no expertise in what you're looking for feedback on. And so it's, I'm not suggesting that's the platform we should be doing using for this, but just as an yep. example, it, it's, that's, that's extremely difficult to measure. So it's a case of being very careful about how you request feedback um where you're requesting it being you know and, and just having an, an awareness that and i think it's it's improving you know that the example you gave where people are now um doing challenges and sharing it with the world another problem we have within this industry is a lot of the, the work that we do is hidden you know it's hiding on an yes, ms somewhere yeah. you can't share it you know, your best work you can't share because it's uh, it's it's hidden it's proprietary and and it takes a lot of work to to white label that and and then mm. you know if you've spent three months on a project you're not going to spend another you know month kind of neutralizing it so that other people outside of your 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 
company can see it and, and give you critical yep. feedback. So it, it is an impro- a problem inherent with the business. But I think from a yeah, from what we're looking for is tangible ways of improving this from a from the ground up, isn't it? And and I think yeah, just being aware as a as a learning designer uh, of when you're asking for feedback, asking for specific feedback, not just saying do you like yep. this, but but you know I've designed this based on X, Y, and Z. Do you think that's a you know a good solution? And or, or you know. I'm I'm struggling with the the graphic design side of things. I just want some feedback on the font pairings I've used or the colors I've used or you yeah. know yeah. do you think this voiceover uh, is fits fits this this slide and and be specific about what you're asking for feedback on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you know the the other thing there is again like I think the the R&D community is is again a, a group of particularly nice people um just by you know what we're about so learning and development problem solvers we're we're kind of helping people become better and we get a real buzz out of helping people. So don't be shy to reach out to to someone that you look up to in the industry and go, "Hey, I've 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 created this and would you be willing to give me some feedback?" The worst that'll happen is they'll go, look, I'm, I'm flat out. Um, I can get a chance to look at it, you know, maybe in a few weeks and, and then you never hear back. That ha- does happen. But in my experience, people are usually very happy to kind of go, yep, cool. Um, busy right now. How about in a few weeks we just kind of jump on a call, we talk through it and and they make themselves quite accessible. Um, and so there is an opportunity to reach out to people and, you know, some, some of those cases being able to reach out to someone like yourself and go, hey, that community that you've kind of started up, how do I get into that? Because tapping into an expert and a community of like-minded people and they're all each going to have their expertise. And in other cases, just targeting someone specific and going, look, here's what I've done. Here's the feedback I'd like and here's why I'm looking for that feedback from you. Um, I think, you know, that also helps if you're trying to get feedback from someone is being able to go, look, this is why I've reached out to you in particular, rather than, hey, this is like one of 50 messages I sent to random people just hoping that someone answers back. Um, Because again, for me, if someone kind of reaches out and goes, hey, what do you think of this? One, I'm the guy that goes, okay, well, why, why, why have you arrived here? What's the design process? But two, it kind of, it, it doesn't resonate with me as much as someone who's demonstrated they understand what I'm about and why they would value my feedback on a particular topic. So I, I definitely advocate for just, you know, reaching out and, and beyond just kind of shouting to the world about the stuff you do, targeted people and reach out to them and target communities and reach out to them to get that feedback and, and get it really constructive. Any, yep. any thoughts from your side on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think on the flip side to that, um, if you are somebody who has an expertise in something and, and you know, being an expert, I think we all deal with, we all um, have some level of imposter syndrome, don't we? Don't we? Where we feel, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We feel like we're not the finished article. We feel like, well, there, there is always, I'm not, I'm not saying we feel like this. It's a fact. There is always somebody better than you at something, so you're yep. never going to be the best at everything. You know, even if you, even if you're extremely specialised and you're just focused on one, on one thing. So, you know, being an expert in my eyes, and I used to think differently to this. I used to feel very, inse- I still feel insecure on a daily basis. I still deal with imposter syndrome on a daily basis, but I now, and I now know that it's it's not something I need to to buy into, and it's a case mm. of it's more of a case of of just you know. You, you you always you always feel like that that feeling of um who am i to, to talk about this and, and once you get past mm. that if you are you know good at graphic design or you are good at instructional design or you're um confident with user interface design whatever it is you might not be good at all the other bits of the jigsaw but if you know that you've got 
a certain degree of skill there. And I, you know, you see some fantastic learning designers out there, um, some really great portfolios, some really great work, the, the work you're talking about as well, where you see people sharing their work, doing these challenges online, all this stuff. It looks, mm. it looks so cool. You, these people quite often, you know, they, they might feel insecure because they haven't, you know, they haven't done any freelancing yet. So how can they talk confidently about, you know, working as a freelancer in this space or they haven't, yeah. uh, maybe they've, you know, you, you get a lot of graphic designers coming into this type of work and they, they maybe haven't got the theoretical instructional design background. And so they, they've got a level of insecurity about, well, I don't, don't feel confident with that bit, so I shouldn't really give feedback, but what you can give feedback on is the, the things that you're good at so you need to make yourself available and, and and put it out there and then then and that will come back to to help you as well because when you start putting yourself out there saying look you know i, I if anybody needs any advice on um i used the example before font pairings it's just the thing that's, yep. that's come to mind yep. but it's a good example because you, you see some horrendous use of, of fonts in, in e-learning if that's your yep. Yep. if that's something that you feel expert in you know, put that out there and, you know, I'm available to, to give you feedback on your, your visuals, your graphics, your colors, your fonts, your, your white space, your, your different elements in your, in your content. And, uh, and that will come back because then you'll develop some, some sense of an ex, you know, you'll de- develop a expertise around that and people will perceive you as an expert in that area. And then you can fill in the gaps, you know, as, as you carry on working. Mm. Fantastic. No, definitely, definitely some really great advice there, uh, Ant. Hey, uh, so uh, for, for people who want to reach out to you, what's the best way of uh, people being able to contact you via, I guess, directly or social channels? What, what would you recommend? Ah, anywhere you like, really. Thanks to my uh, kind of quite unique surname, I'm pretty searchable on, on Google and, and YouTube. <laughs> so if you hit up you into the, uh, to Google or YouTube, I'm, I'm probably the first first result there. Um Best thing to do is is either connect me on connect to me on LinkedIn or or hop mm-hmm. onto my website and, and sign up to my email list. That's I send out a couple of emails a week. Uh, it's all focused around being a freelancer in e learning. Um, mm-hmm. so very business and craft is the two kind of areas I'm focused on. But uh, yeah, great. That, that would be the best place. Cool. Perfect. Well, and it has been a pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed the conversation and and really where uh, where it went. Uh, So thanks again for your time. Um, Hopefully I'll get you back on another podcast. Uh, But uh, yeah, for anyone who's listening, thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Cheers, Raf. Click next to continue.